Hi, my name's Chris Bell, and I want to welcome you to the last week of the Chasing the Wind series. We are going through and have been going through the book of Ecclesiastes. Man, this has been an amazing journey as we have really gone deep into this book that a lot of people really shy away from. If you are a student of the Bible, many people uh, would rather go other places than go to Ecclesiastes because historically, Ecclesiastes has been seen as maybe a confusing book, a mysterious book, uh, a book that is really hard to understand. But I think what we have found throughout this series is that once you see a few of the the keys to understanding the book, it kind of unlocks the door. And that's what we've tried to do through this series as we have learned so very much. In fact, uh, I think that Ecclesiastes is one of the most relevant books in the Bible to you and I living our lives. And so that is why it's been such a great journey. And today we come to the end of the journey. And I kind of hate to come to the end of it. Because remember, what we're doing is we're having a cup of coffee with King Solomon. King Solomon was the richest, wisest, most experienced man in the world. And he was the king of Israel. During his time as king, Israel became a world of power. And at the end of his reign as king, he wrote this book for you and I to learn. And in this book, he asked us some of the most important questions in life. You know, King Solomon's not just sitting around with us at the coffee table talking about the football game from this past weekend or where you're going to go on vacation this summer. He's not interested in the little intricacies of our mundane lives as much as he is about getting you to ask the, the questions that could change your life and keep you from wasting your life. And King Solomon is talking to us from a place of experience. Remember, he was the most powerful man in the world, and because of that advantage that he had, and because he was a good-looking guy and a very successful king, he was able to try out life at every level. In fact, in the middle of his life, Solomon admittedly walked away from God. He walked away from all that he knew was true and wise and good. And he experienced life. And what he writes to us in Ecclesiastes is a lot of that journey. It, it, it is a result of that walking away and then coming back that brings us Ecclesiastes. And Solomon wants you to understand that the more he chased after power, fame, comfort, success, sex, the more he chased those things, the more empty his life became. That's why he calls it vanity of vanities. And again, one of the keys to understanding this book is the phrase, under the sun. And what Solomon does is he tells you, look, I've tried to live life like it's just under the sun, like there is no God, like there is no truth, like there is no plumb line for us to measure our lives against uh, the Word of God. He, he says, I want to show you what life under the sun looks like in any area of your life if you remove God from it. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes does. And it's a bleak picture. It's a picture that you and I do not want to experience. But in the middle of this book comes so much truth and so much hope because Solomon wants us to not live life like it's just under the sun. And so as we put a period on the end of this conversation today, as we, as we bid King Solomon adieu and as we walk out the coffee shop door and leave him behind, we get one more shot. We get to hear him one more time. And today what we're going to find out is that in the middle of this book of Ecclesiastes, which is full of questions, he's going to make a conclusion today. We're going to look at one main verse from Ecclesiastes where Solomon says, I've looked at everything and here is something I have found. And, and the question he's going to answer with that conclusion that he comes to is one that I think we all ask. I think we probably all wonder sometimes, how did we get here? I don't mean how did we come into existence. We've dealt with some of that in this book. But how did we get to this place where life is so hard, where global pandemics are taking place and hurricanes seem to hit 
uh, one right after the other, where children starve in some places in the world and where the rich just keep getting richer than others, where politicians can't be trusted and also preachers sometimes can't be trusted. How do we get to this place? In other words, why is the world so messed up? And since we all know it is pretty messed up, who is to blame? And many of us come to the conclusion that maybe God is to blame. Well, today Solomon is going to help us understand that because the only way to figure out what happens in a tragedy is to go back and walk through it again. This was very true for the company Boeing, who, who makes airplanes. A few years back, two of their brand new right off the assembly line planes crashed, killing hundreds of people in Indonesia and Ethiopia Airlines. Boeing was suddenly in a spotlight they never asked for and certainly would never want. Their new plane, the MAX, as it was known, the Boeing MAX, went down. And so what did they do? Well, they couldn't ignore the facts. Uh, there was a serious issue, and now there were serious consequences. So the only way to figure out how did they get there, how did this great company that invested so much time and money in that design, how did that plane go down? They had to go back and retrace their steps, and they had to go all the way back to the beginning, and it was a tough journey. They didn't want to admit it, but in the end, they figured out what was wrong. There was a software glitch in the design of this plane, and it ended up being a crucial and a fatal flaw in the design. They had to go back to the beginning and retrace those steps to find it. And that's what Solomon's going to do for us today. He's going he's to make a conclusion by taking us back to the very beginning of this whole thing called human life, how it started and how we got to where we are today. So if you've ever asked that question, today you're going to get the answer over a cup of coffee with King Solomon. Let's go and check out that verse right now. So today Solomon's going to answer a big question for us. How did we get here? How did the world get so bad? I mean, why do families break up? Why is marriage so hard? And why do children starve in some places and other people die of cancer? And why are storms uh, coming onto the shores of the Gulf Coast uh, right and left? And, and why are things just so very hard? Why would a pandemic ever happen? Why would evil exist at all? And that is the question. And often, I think, what it points us to is saying, well, maybe God is behind all this. Maybe he is the one to blame. So today, what we're going to do is we're going we're to answer that question, and Solomon's going to help us. Remember, he walked away from God at, during the time of his life, and he found it to be vanity of vanities to live life like there is no God. And so today, he comes to a conclusion, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ecclesiastes 7.29. We're going to read that right now. What does he say? He says, see, this alone I have found that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. 
Now, it's such a quick verse. I'm just going to read it again because I want you to grab onto it. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Now, let's just dive into that verse right there because Solomon, first of all, does exactly what we said that the Boeing company did when they had to retrace the steps. Solomon says, I found, this alone I found, meaning he's investigated this. He's been thinking about it a long time, smartest guy in the world, and he's answering the question that all of us is asking. Why? Because he asked the same question. Solomon himself, uh, throughout this book, explores human life. And he asked himself, why when I look at the judicial and law systems of the world, is there wickedness there? And why when I look into the righteous and the religion, there's wickedness there? And he's going, why is the world the way it is? And he says, here is what I have found. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, remember, all Scripture is God-breathed. This is what God wanted you to understand. He comes to one conclusion first, and it's this. God's not to blame. You can write that down right now. God is not to blame for evil in the world. Stop blaming God. Because, Solomon says, God made man upright. Now, this is what you need to understand about this word. This word man is actually the word Adam. Okay, So what the Bible is talking about here is the original mankind, the original human Adam and his wife Eve. Now what we need to understand is the Bible says here that God made Adam, not just all men, he made Adam and Eve in the garden, he made them perfect. In other words, they were upright. Uh, they, were, they were made without a sin nature. They were two perfect humans. Now just imagine that for a second. How incredible would that be? Now, I want you to understand what that means. Because you and I, we're going to talk about it in a moment, we were born with sin natures. And everyone you have ever known, personally, had a sin nature. And it makes life really, really tough. Well, the Bible says here that Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, in the book of Genesis, they had no sin nature. Meaning that it was natural for them to do good. It was their nature. It was man, Adam and Eve, it was man's nature in the beginning, the way God made them, to love God. Loving God was not hard for them like it is for us. Their hearts were completely for God. It was their nature to do what was right. They didn't even have to be told what was right. It was their nature to do it. They didn't have to be talked into or coerced into uh, following God and doing what He wanted them to do and loving Him and worship Him and, and praying. They, they, they just did because they loved God. That was who they were. They did not have a sin nature. And, and so what the Bible is trying to get you to understand here is that, that Adam and Eve were made upright. But there is a clear contrast here. It says God made man, Adam, now you know what that original word is there, upright, but they. And now there's a contrast between the rest of us. There was Adam and Eve, and then they sought out many schemes, and then the rest of us. In fact, Adam and Eve are the ones that built that disastrous bridge to get us to that they that you see there in Ecclesiastes. Now, so what we understand about this is Adam and Eve were perfect. They had no sin nature. They didn't have to be talked into doing what was right. It was their nature. But although it was their nature to do good, it was their nature to be righteous and upright, that nature was not unchangeable. It could be changed. And you go, well, why? Why would God allow that? Well, well here's why. Because God gave man freedom. There was freedom in that garden. And uh, the Bible lets us know that in Genesis 2.17, he, 
He said to Adam and Eve, Do not eat of this specific tree. You are not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis 2.17. And there it is. Because freedom always demands the presence of choice. See, Adam and Eve were made upright, but they had the freedom to choose otherwise. And they did. In other words, they were in paradise, but they were not prisoners in paradise. They were not prisoners. There was a door that they could walk through and leave if they so chose. And they did. Because you can look at the situation and you go, man, if Adam and Eve never fell, if they never sinned against God, then life would be incredible. And that is true. And that brings us to the first point here. Don't blame God. Understand how we got here. See, if we go back uh, to those plane crashes in Indonesia and Ethiopia, you understand uh, that if Boeing would have played the blame game, and indeed maybe they did at times in the beginning, uh, it wouldn't have helped anyone. The, the point was figure out what happened. What's the truth about what happened? And the truth about what happened with humanity and how we got here is that it started with God making man, Adam and Eve, upright. And then they followed after, chased after, went after many schemes. Uh, Solomon would say they chased after the wind. So in other words, unbelievably, they disastrously chose to walk out of the door that led out of the Garden of Eden. And what happened then? Since we understand that God made man upright, they walked out of the garden. What were the results of Adam and Eve walking out of the garden and choosing to sin against God and choosing to move away from their upright nature that God had made them with? Let's answer that question now. So the Bible tells us in Genesis 3-5 that the serpent came into that garden. See, there was choice. Uh, the garden uh, had an open door on it, and the serpent comes in. We know this to be Satan. And the Bible tells us that the serpent said this to Eve initially, uh, ultimately to both of them. For God knows when you eat of that fruit, when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And there was the temptation. In other words, he pointed at the door that led out of the Garden of Eden, and we know what happened next. Not only Eve, but Adam too. Both of them, man and woman, ate of this forbidden fruit. They chose against their own nature. Now, I want you to understand this. For Adam and Eve, it was natural to do good. They had to choose against their own nature to do evil. God made them upright. They had no inclination towards sin. They had to break their own nature. They had to go against their own, what they knew was right, intrinsically. They didn't have to have the law written down for themselves. They had it inside of them. They knew what was right because God made them upright. It, their natural inclination was towards God and towards righteousness and towards holiness and towards what was right. And they chose to break all of that to go a different way. And you may sit there and ask yourself, why and how did they do that? But, but now, answer that question a little more honestly. Don't you do that all the time? Don't you break your own uh, knowledge, your own wisdom all the time? Have you ever known you were doing the wrong thing? Have you ever known that you shouldn't go down a certain road and you went anyway? Well, that's exactly what happened in the garden. And what were the results? Uh, well, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. Never to return, by the way. Uh, they walked through that door. The Bible lets us know that they died spiritually because God told them, you eat of that fruit, you'll die. And they did die, not physically immediately, though their bodies immediately began uh, to deteriorate and begin to die 
because death was coming physically, but they died immediately spiritually. They were separated from God. They didn't have that same relationship with God because now a sin nature had entered the picture. This new nature uh, had come into their lives. And not only that, but when they had children, their children were not born in the Garden of Eden. Their children were born outside of paradise. And listen, and there's never been a child born in that garden since. And you know what? It did not take long. The Bible lets us know that, that this, this they in Ecclesiastes that we're looking at, 729, that word they, they was different. There's a contrast between Adam and Eve and the rest of us. And that included their own children. Because their own two sons ended up in a terrible situation and one of them murdered the other, Cain and Abel. You may know that story. So it didn't take long. If you want to know how pervasive and destructive sin is, it didn't take long once they were out of that garden, once the sin nature had taken place. Cain and Abel were both born with sin natures. It went crazy. And what we know is that murder entered the picture. The first human murder, it did not take long for it to happen. And so when we ask ourselves, Does God, did God do all this? Is he the one that's responsible for evil? No, no, he made us upright. We chose, and all of us have chosen to walk out of that door. They chose it, and from that point on, uh, we have been making that choice. God did not make Adam sinful. He was upright, but he chose to sin in his freedom. It's interesting, we look at ancient cultures, and Solomon would have been around this and certainly been aware of it. The Babylonians, for instance, a powerful uh, culture and nation during those days, the Babylonians had this idea, and many other ancient cultures did as well. And the idea was this, that the gods, that there were many gods, they were polytheistic, and that the gods, when they created humans, they're the ones that put evil inside of us. And they put lies and wickedness and all of those things inside of humans, and that humans' jobs were to overcome that. Uh, that the religion of the Babylonians would say that they had to uh, work their way out of that. But that is not what the Scriptures teach us. You see here that... Just how distinctive the monotheistic uh, religion of what we would say is Christianity and Judaism in ancient times, that that pointed to a different direction. Solomon says here, the Babylonians are wrong. It wasn't a group of gods that put evil inside of man. One God, monotheistic, one God created mankind and he created them upright with no sin. And mankind chose. So the Babylonians would say this, the evil is is coming from God. God is to blame, but the hope lies in humans maybe overcoming that. That's the Babylonian way. That would be the world's way. That would be false religion's way. But the gospel, the Bible, what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes says the opposite. It says the problem is with mankind and the hope that we have is in God. And that's exactly what he's trying to get you to see in this verse. But he wants to clear this up for you. If you've ever asked these questions, and we all do, he wants you to understand God's not to blame. God made man upright, Adam and Eve, and they, the rest of us, including them, they built that bridge that we all walked across and now we're born into this. We have sinned, fallen short, and walked away from God. In fact, the, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 14, 12 this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. You see, we all, we all have it in us. We all think we know the way to go. Uh, but our way leads to death. It led Adam and Eve to death, and it leads every single one of us. We are born separated from God. He creates us, but we're not his children. Uh, not, not when we're born. We're born with this sin nature. And listen, if you don't think that's true, then you've never had kids, 
I mean, if you have children or even if you're around some kids, you, you don't have kids of your own. If you're around children very long, you'll see they're awesome. And also they can, they can be pretty hard to deal with at times. Like right out of the gate, there's selfishness and lies and anger and, and being outlandish and, and, and throwing temper tantrums. That happens right out of the gate. No one has to teach them how to do that. Why? Because we are born as sinners. And that's what Solomon wants us to understand here. See, a lot of people may think that Christianity is a group of people who thinks they are good. Like all you Christians and all of you church people, you think you're so good. But actually, that's not a real Christian. A real Christian understands that, that we are the problem. Real Christianity is not that we are so good. That would be the Babylonian way. That'd be false religions. False religions tell you that you can get to God, that you can make your life better, that you have hope inside of you, that you just need to reach within and you're a champion and you're a good person, just find it within. But the, the scriptures and Solomon's telling you here, hey, if you want an over-the-sun over life, you're going to have to have an over-the-sun God save you and rescue you because God made us upright and we're the ones that mess it all up. Christians, by nature, understand we are the problem. We have to own it. We're the problem. And, and listen, the Bible is ultra clear about this. The first step today is, is going back the way the Boeing company had to and go, where was the problem? How did we get here? And Solomon says, I'll tell you how we got here. Over a cup of coffee today, he says in the very beginning, there was a garden and a loving God created man, Adam and Eve, perfect, without sin and upright. But he did not make them prisoners in that garden. He gave them a choice and they made the choice to walk through that devastating door that led to death and it led to the fall. And we're all born into that. But that's not the end of the story. Because see, the same God who made us upright, even though we've walked away through his son, can make us upright again. Let's take a look at the hope today of the gospel because the gospel is exactly what Solomon and Ecclesiastes is pointing us to. So over this cup of coffee today, Solomon is trying to help us understand where this all came off the rails. And we are responsible. The Bible is really clear about that. Totally clear. And see, the problem is, the reason that is so offensive is because we don't want to admit that we messed it up. Boeing didn't either. The Boeing company did not want to have to admit that they had messed up the design and that it cost a lot of people their lives. And guess what? The, the authorities that should have been checking those things, they didn't want to admit it either. But they had to go through the painful process of finding the truth and then owning it to be able to change it. They grounded all those planes. Those planes couldn't fly anymore. In fact, until recently, those planes could not fly. It lost just untold millions of dollars for these companies. But they had to get to the truth. And here's the deal. You and I need to face the truth as well. Because facing the truth is where we find the solution. And that's what Solomon's trying to get you to do, to do here. He's trying to tell you, here's how we got here. Because if you'll take the journey back to how we all got here, and if we'll own it, and we'll admit that it's us, that we're the problem, that we've chosen to walk away from God just like Adam and Eve did, then we can find, we can find the solution. And that's exactly what Solomon was pointing us to. If you'll go to Romans uh, chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 23 through 27. Listen to these gospel-drenched verses today. It says this, Verse 23 is exactly what we're talking about. Solomon said, they, that's all of us, they have gone after many schemes. Well, here's what Romans says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, 
every single one of us, including the first two humans. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Not just them, by the way. We were born with sin natures that we all acted on. Every single one of us have done this. Verse 24, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And there it is. There is hope. Solomon is not throwing you off a cliff without giving you a parachute uh, on the way down. He wants you to understand that there is hope. And you don't have to crash and burn here. The story of humanity is a rough story, and this world is a rough world with all sorts of consequences from the choices that we've made. But there is a loving God behind it all who has made a way for our redemption. Your hope is in Jesus. Since we've all fallen short, since we have all made the choice to walk away from Him, to, to act on this, this sin nature that we're born with. Because, see, we're not like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had a natural inclination towards God. You and I are born with a natural inclination away from Him. Their natural propensity was to love God and serve God and follow Him and obey Him and worship Him. Yours and mine, our inclinations, are the exact opposite. We are born with an inclination to sin, to be wicked and evil, to hate God and to love sin and to walk away from Him. And every one of us, if, we're, if we'll stop and we'll be honest, then we will answer that question that same way, that every one of us know that's true of us in the deepest part of who we are. But our culture tries to get us to say this. No, no, we're good. You're a good person. Reach down within you. And let me just tell you, no one who thinks that they are good and upright on their own can ever come to Christ. You cannot come to Jesus thinking that you're upright. You're not upright anymore. Only in Adam and Eve were upright, and they walked away. And then they needed him to save them too. And their family needed them to save them, needed God to save them. And you need God to save you. And the only way today for you to come to Jesus is for you to stop thinking you're upright on your own. At the very best, what you can do is compare yourself to someone worse than you and go, well, at least I'm better than them. But that will not get you back into the Garden of Eden, my friend. It will not get you into heaven. It will not get you into a relationship with God. See, the Bible tells us here the only hope is not us. We've sinned and fallen short. We caused this mess. We are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is our only hope. Look at verse 25. Whom God put forward. God did this. It was His plan. He put forward Jesus as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. In other words, that word propitiation, it means payment. It means there was a gap. There was a sin debt that was caused, not just by Adam and Eve, but by all of us. And Jesus came to reverse that, the curse. This nature that came into us of sin, Jesus came to overtake that in our lives. And He paid for our sins, propitiation. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. So Paul gets right to it because one of the, one of the most uh, incredibly disastrous things you and I could do as humans is to be proud of ourselves for being good because we're not good on our own. So Paul tells you here, the only way you can fix this situation, the only way you can be saved from the wrath of God rightfully and, and from the, the disastrous consequences of the fall in the Garden of Eden, the only way to overtake this nature that's inside of you that's leaning against God rather than for Him is to come to Jesus. 
Now, why is Jesus uh, the only one that can do that? Why is he the only one that can do that? Well, it's because Jesus came for you and I. Jesus came and did what only he could do and what you and I could not do. We needed a Savior, and we could not save ourselves. It's interesting. Here on the Gulf Coast, we recently had a couple of disastrous hurricanes. And the first one that hit our broadcast area, at least, where we film uh, our messages along the Gulf Coast. And you may be watching us from all over the world, but here in the coastal Alabama region, Hurricane Sally came ashore. And she was a really bad storm. And a lot of damage took place, in particular trees. But there was a person connected with our church who had a tree. And, and interestingly enough, like many trees in the area, uh, Sally pushed and pushed and pushed with 100-mile-an-hour-plus winds for six to seven solid hours. And lots of trees just snapped beneath the power of the storm. But some trees simply leaned. They leaned over. And these people at our church, they had a tree that did that. It leaned, and when the storm was over, the tree was still leaning. Now, let me tell you what will never happen with that tree. That tree can never straighten itself out, and that's true of you and I. Sin bent all of us like a storm, and you cannot stand yourself back up. Oh, you can try, and you may uh, do some good things. That's what Solomon got at in Ecclesiastes. Humanism, try to self-improve. Maybe you can be a little better than the next guy, but what use is that? He says that's vanity of vanities because... Just because you can jump a little higher than the next guy, you still can't jump to the moon. And jumping to the moon is what it would be like for you to try to be perfect. And that's the only way you're getting to heaven and having a relationship with God is perfection. So since you cannot do all of that, since that is a dilemma, then what do we do? And like a tree after Hurricane Sally that's bent, that tree, no matter how hard it tries to grow back straight, it can. It's going to keep growing crooked. It's leaned over. So what then do we do? Well, we turn to Jesus. In fact, you need to understand this. After Adam and Eve, there was never another perfect person born on earth. That thousands of years went by. Centuries went by. No perfect people. They all had sin natures, just like you and I, until Jesus. And then, on a cool night over Bethlehem in the sky, some things happened that we're about to celebrate that season very soon. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Jesus came to earth, and again, we have a perfect human. There's only been three of them. Two of them built a bridge to a disaster and went against their own nature and sinned against God, bringing us all down with them. But we've all acted on that same sin nature, so we really can't blame them. But here Jesus comes in. Jesus, the Bible says, is actually the second Adam. Jesus comes as a perfect human with no sin nature. But he never sinned. He never went against his Father's will and went all the way to a cruel crucifixion cross with that perfection. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, that's who we've been talking about, and that's who Solomon was talking about in Ecclesiastes, became a living being, meaning he had freedom. He was a real being. He wasn't a robot. He wasn't a prisoner in the Garden of Eden. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. See, yes, the first Adam was a perfect human, but he didn't give us life. He, he brought death. And he made the choice that all of us have made to sin. But the second Adam, that's Jesus, he became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of the dust. The second Adam, the second man, is from heaven. Do you see that? See, Jesus, when he was born in Bethlehem and then grew up, 33 perfect years on earth, he came from heaven because we could not save ourselves. We needed someone from 
over the Son to come to us here under the Son. And that's what Jesus did. That's what Solomon's saying. Solomon's saying, look, if it's just under the Son, we are in a mess. God made us upright, we messed it up. But then Jesus came, and He is our only hope. And from over the Son comes another perfect one. And this time, since He was from heaven, He didn't sin against God. He didn't make that choice. He didn't walk out that door. He kept His Father's will. And that is why in Romans 7.25, Paul can say these powerful words. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at this. He says, So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. In the same verse, the Apostle Paul tells us our dilemma now. If you become a believer, and if you are a believer right now, you've been given a new nature. You were born with one nature, and it was a sin nature. But if you came to Jesus, He put a new nature inside of you. And that new nature, much like Adam and Eve in the garden... Your new nature wants to follow God. It's a new desire. It's new taste buds for your soul. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. But it did not eradicate your old nature. You still have what Paul calls here the flesh. And Paul lets us know, you're in a battle now. And if you come to Christ today and give your life to Him, you will begin a battle within. And the battle will be between your new nature that Jesus has given you and your old nature that you were born with. And it won't be till you die, until you're with Jesus in heaven that that will go away. But the Bible is telling us, listen to, listen to the hope in his statement. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is sitting here telling you there is hope. There's hope for you to overcome. There's hope for you to not have to walk that way. In fact, the, the beautiful part of that picture I was telling you about earlier, Hurricane Sally comes through and bends this tree, just like all of us have been bent by sin. And without any help, that tree is never going to upright itself. And you and I can't be upright either. But something happened. About a month later, another storm came through. Hurricane Zeta came through our area. And do you know what it did? It stood that tree back up straight. Without that, that tree would have grown crooked until it died. It would have never stood back upright on its own. But an external force came in and pushed that tree back upright. And now it is straight. Isn't that amazing? And much like that, we needed an external force to upright us again, to make that possible. We could not do it on our own. And you can't either. I don't care how good you think you are. In fact, you thinking you're good is what's getting in your way of having the tree of your life stood back up again. And what Jesus did on the cross and what he did through his resurrection and his perfect life and giving us the gospel is that every crooked tree can be stood back up again but only in Jesus. You can't do it yourself. It's going to require a wind from an external force. It took another hurricane to set that tree up, and it took another Adam, Jesus himself, to give us the opportunity to be made whole again, to be made upright again. And today my question for you would be from Solomon, hey, why do you keep blaming God? God didn't do this. God made us upright. We chose to go away from Him. But God in His love and grace has made a way for us to be made upright again. Righteous, holy, children of God. But it's only through Jesus. It's only through Jesus. So today, what are you placing your hope in? You can honestly and obviously see that the world's messed up. But your life doesn't have to be. What if there's hope? If you've never given Jesus your life, 
I hope you will today. Today, right there where you are, I hope you'll believe upon Jesus and see that this is, in fact, the way we can find out how we got here. Guess what Boeing did? They fixed the problem with their planes, and now their, their planes are flying again because they went through the process. And today, would you be willing to look at how we really got here and see that our only hope is in Jesus? Now, if you're a Christian, what you should do is celebrate this. You need to be reminded sometimes of how we got here and how we, how we were redeemed in Christ. We have every reason to worship him because if you're a believer in Jesus today, and this is what Solomon wanted you to understand, you don't just live in under the sun life anymore. Your life is so much more with meaning and beauty and wonder. Even the tough stuff, the bad stuff in your life actually has a purpose now. And you, like you were created, you're an eternal person. God has put eternity in your heart. And if you're in Christ, you're going to live forever. Oh, you'll die physically in this life, uh, but it will not be the end of your story because of Jesus. This is the hope of Christianity. And my hope is today that you will believe this testimony of the gospel. Place your hope and faith in Jesus. And if you have done that, I hope today that you will celebrate. That you will celebrate just what we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's how we're going to commemorate this today. We're going to commemorate this truth and what it pointed to here in Romans. The gospel, we're going to commemorate that with what we call the Lord's Supper here at Three Circle. Now, if you're at home, we're going to give you some really clear instructions on how you and your family can take the Lord's Supper with us in just a moment. So just hang on. If you know what materials you need for that, you can go get those right now. But if you're with us and you and you say, hey, I'm not going to be able to do that today. I want to, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't want to wait till I can maybe be at one of the Three Circle campuses. That is okay as well. You and I are going to pray together in just a moment to close our time together. But if you're on this uh, on this broadcast with me right now and you say, you know what, I I don't know Jesus, I don't know him, then I'm going to ask you to not take the Lord's Supper with us because the Bible actually tells us that it's only people who have faith in Christ that should take the Lord's Supper to commemorate. How could you commemorate something that you're not sure about yet, that you don't believe yet? But what I am hoping is this. I hope that today, while we're all taking the Lord's Supper, that you will think on these things. And my hope is you will give your life to Christ and you will hear in just a moment how you can respond and also how you can let us know that you have placed your trust in the only one who could make us upright again, Jesus Christ.